0: Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Like Stars podcast. I am your host, or whatever it is that I am, Pete Goodman. I'm glad you're joining on this episode. We are continuing today to dive into another sort of big theological idea. Uh, Every episode... A lot of times it's taking questions. Today is kind of focusing on one topic that built off the last episode. We're going to look at the idea of grace today. And you know, before you kind of tune out, oh, I've heard that before. This isn't, uh, this isn't your grandmother's Easter service talk about grace. It might be one of the more controversial uh, episodes I've done. I have some things to say about the word grace that may not be things that some of you are used to or heard before, but I think they're important to understand about the history and the culture. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, as I say every episode I'm really grateful for all of you that are listening. It's 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 encouraging to me. It's, it's a lot of fun. But I just want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube, take a moment, just push that little thumb like button. Uh, not because I have this... Drastic desire for the dopamine rush of seeing like buttons, although I guess it's nice. Really just because the more people that like, comment, share, all that kind of stuff, uh, it helps more people see it. So I appreciate it. Any way you can interact. Also let you know if you're on YouTube or you're thinking about getting YouTube, uh, along with the podcast, I have a bunch of other messages that I've given, especially here at the church I pastor, Rice City Church. So you can listen to the podcast. We can also check out a lot of other videos. So jump on YouTube. uh, Subscribe. So that way, anytime I post a new one, you get a notification that's up. Same with the audio podcast. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever, uh, please consider sharing it. Consider leaving a review, comment, anything, and however you're listening. I just want to remind you that the heart would be of this whole podcast. Sometimes, like today, we have a very specific topic we're going to dive down. But a lot of times, I'm just here to answer your questions. So keep them coming. Uh, you can email me a question at pete at risecitychurch.com. You can also leave a comment on the YouTube page. You can leave a comment on my social media, Instagram, like stars podcast, or like stars on Facebook, message me, DM, all that kind of stuff. However you want to, I would love some more questions from you uh, just to, uh, I don't know, other things that you guys are interested in thinking about. So a lot going on and uh, thanks for all of you there have, and I continue to Hope that I hear from you and uh, hear more of your comments and feedback. Uh, And as you may know, if you've been listening for a while, I like to start all my podcasts with a little bit of humor, you know, for the children. And here's the deal. Uh, Last episode, I was joking around a little bit about some of the awkwardness that I actually personally feel when praying in a group. Now, I had a really good friend reach out to me this week and I so appreciated him And he kind of talked to me and said, Pete, you know, it it was funny, all those kind of things, but it kind of felt like you were making fun of prayer. And I don't know how comfortable I felt with it. And, you know, there's always this tension between humor and taking, but no, I really appreciated it. And I actually, you know, I thought about it and I said, maybe I'll just say something on the next episode. So I wanted to, um, because the truth is the last thing I ever want to do is like honestly and genuinely like mock or make fun of a really important part of our lives. I enjoy being a little nitpicky and fun with Christian culture because I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm part of it. It's my culture. So you're probably going to hear a lot of that and continue to hear a lot of from me. Uh, Sometimes critiquing from within and being funny and joking with each other is a good way to keep ourselves accountable and things like that. But I also want to make sure that I'm not coming across as mocking or belittling things that are actually really important parts of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, So. The truth is, sometimes I joke just because it's fun, and I'm just, I like to, I don't know, it's just, it amuses me to tell dumb jokes, unfortunately for my children. Uh, But other times, it's also a way for me to cut through the tension and awkwardness. There are a lot of you that are listening or watching that maybe know me personally, and you know that... Uh, I can actually be a pretty socially anxious, shy person, especially uh, I get very uncomfortable sometimes in certain groups and I've had to work through that for a lot of my life and and learn to be more comfortable, especially now that I'm a professional (laughs) pastor person. But what I've learned oftentimes is to use jokes and humor as a way to cut through that, um, to make myself more comfortable. It's certainly, so when I say things like that, I'm not belittling prayer. I I think I'm more belittling myself (laughs) and my own neurosis and things, um, But the other side of it, and I do want to touch on this before I dive in, is one of the things that I struggled with growing up in a Christian culture was it always felt like that person that was up on the stage, you know, in this case, maybe doing a podcast was like the professional who had it all together. And it was sometimes difficult to be like, well, I'm sure they're whatever, but they're not like me. And then I got older and I went to school and all these things and became a pastor. And I'm like, oh no, I'm still, I'm still me. And sometimes people look at me like, well, you're like a professional prayer person. So obviously you're so spiritual and you always know exactly what to pray. And the truth is, no, sometimes I'm a complete blank and I'm just sitting there thinking about how English muffins are neither English nor muffins. I got nothing else. And it's not about like, oh, prayer stupid. It's more about I sometimes am stupid. And the amazing part of that is it shows how much God is still willing to use people who are imperfect. And even the professionals, the ones of us that do this thing for a living, we don't have it all together. We can be weird and off and and odd and quirky and all these things, struggle with the same things that everyone struggles with, and yet God still chooses to listen and respond. So I never wanna make someone feel bad or belittle or never wanna belittle a big idea like prayer. It's so important, it's such a powerful part of our lives. But at the same time, it's kind of funny to think we can be so weird and erotic and weird even in our prayers and yet God is still listening. Um, It's okay to laugh at ourselves. I don't want to laugh at people, other people, because they don't have it together. I want to laugh at myself because I don't want to have it together. Um, But I also want to be a person who's continually striving for better. And, you know, even introverts like me, we do need to engage in prayer with others, no matter how awkward and uncomfortable it makes us. Uh, so, you know, sometimes humor lets me do that and sometimes I go too far. So if you were listening last week and you felt that I apologize, it's not my intention. I'm not here to be controversial. I'm not one of those kind of podcasters, maybe controversial in some of my actual content. We're going to talk about grace in a way that may be odd for some of you today. But in my humor and stuff, hopefully that didn't rub you the wrong way. But I'll try to be more sensitive. But at the same time, I still love to joke around. So I don't think I'm going to change. But thank you, for my friend who reached out to me. Um, and thank you for those of you that maybe heard it, weren't sure about it, but were still like, oh, I think I know where Pete's coming from. So uh, yeah, I guess I don't have a sponsor today, but maybe my sponsor is. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'll try to do better. Um, but all that being said, uh, let's let's move on. Let's dive in. Um, I appreciate Uh, the grace that you guys show me. (laughs) How was that for a transition? You were wondering how I was going to slip. We're going to talk about grace today. Now, the reason why I want to talk about grace today, sometimes I come with you and I have like, here's a question that came in this week or whatever. I don't actually have a question that was submitted. Nobody said, Pete, talk to us about grace. But the last episode on predestination really leads into it in ways that I think were important to talk about. And I already had it in my mind that I wanted to cover this topic. So we mentioned in the last episode about predestination, this idea, especially in a sort of a Calvinistic background, the belief that God determines in advance sort of who's going to be saved and who's not. And I kind of gave my take on that. You Go back and listen to it if you missed it. Uh, But essentially, it really comes down, there's a place in scripture where it really hits home, and this place is in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it's a very famous passage. Paul says, you are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. So we read that and and this is, I do my best to represent what I would call like a Calvinistic predestination kind of stance would say that verse is saying that grace is God giving you something that you didn't work for. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. There's no, you don't play any part. It's not your work. It's not your effort. It's only grace. And that's what you're saved by. Well, if grace is completely one-sided, it's just God, you're not involved in it, you don't do it, you don't earn it, you don't respond to all those kind of things, and it's just him just making the decision, well, that would be fine if everybody was a Christian, but since only some people are Christians, if God is deciding salvation, then all the people who aren't Christians, he must have decided weren't going to be Christians. That's the logic of Calvinism. And honestly, there's a certain elegant logic to it. It makes sense if that's what those words mean. My take on it, and I talked about a little bit last episode, is the problem is not, okay, you're reading it that way. The problem is those words don't necessarily mean exactly what you're making them mean. You're missing some context. And I wanna give, I wanna, I wanna poke a few holes in that, starting with the word grace itself. And faith and works are other big parts of that. And uh, I've done some stuff on faith, even on bonus episodes. You can check those out. But let's talk about grace. And I want to start with, I guess, a simple question. What is it? What is grace? What does the word grace mean? And in light of the Ephesians 2, saved by grace, predestination, a very common way that people have interpreted grace, and I've heard this a lot growing up, and I still hear it quite often, people define grace as unmerited favor. Unmerited, you didn't earn it, you didn't work for it, you're not involved in it, it's just here, you have nothing to do with it. And it primarily speaks of how God responds to humans apart from our work or our effort. Unmerited favor. No, uh, that is not what the word grace means. I I don't know, hang with me here. Uh, That is not what the word grace means. And here's why, I'll make a distinction. Some people might say, well, that's what the biblical definition of grace is. That's the biblical definition of grace. And when I hear that phrase, I kind of get a little bit, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. There is no biblical definition of a word, okay? The Bible is not a dictionary. We don't look for definitions in the Bible the way that you open up Webster's and be like, oh, here's what the word means. The Bible is a collection of stories and letters and things written between real people. And when somebody writes another person a letter in order to tell them something, to communicate a truth, they don't make up new words. And they don't take a word that everybody knows and suddenly apply some unrealistic, unknowable meaning to it. They use words the way that people understood those words. So they understand what you're saying. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he didn't use the word grace in a way they were completely unfamiliar with, a biblical way. <laughs> there was no Bible yet in uh, the Old Testament. He used grace the way they understood it. Uh, you wouldn't change the word. So the question isn't what does grace mean, quote, 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 in the Bible. The question is what did grace mean to the Bible's audience? The people who were writing the Bible and the who the people were writing to, what did the word grace mean to them? And I've done that with faith as well in my, in my whole thing about faith. The first century Roman empire where these scriptures were written, whether it was in Greek, the New Testament, or Latin, the, the common language of the day, what did this word mean to them? And I would argue it does not mean unmerited favor. The word simply means gift or favor. Uh, in Greek, the New Testament writing, it was charis or charis. In the Latin, uh, it, which is a common problem today as well, they would use the word gratis or gratia, which might sound familiar to you because it's the closest we have to grace. Grace came from Latin, but we also still use it sometimes, uh, especially if you're uh, a Spanish speaker, gracias, grazie, gratia. It's still very Italian, gratia. Um, it means simply, and I stress the word simply, it just means gift or favor. It doesn't mean the words uh, unmerited or unearned. It doesn't mean no strings of debt. It just means gift. And that's important, okay? I want you to understand that. Because when Christians use the word grace, they have created a term, or I'm sorry, sorry—a they've created a definition, unmerited favor, that would have been foreign to the original authors and hearers of the New Testament. So if you want to know what grace actually meant to them, I might make the case, and I'm a little stretch here, I think a better understanding of first century Roman Empire grace is found far less in modern day Christianity and actually found more in modern day Italian empires, specifically the Mafia. That's right. We're going to talk about the Mafia. Have you seen the movie The Godfather? All right. If not, something is wrong with you, go watch The Godfather, parts one and two, you can skip part three. But in the movie The Godfather, which is one of the greatest movies ever made, there's this classic opening scene where Marlon Brando, the great Don Corleone, the Godfather, he's head of the Corleone crime family, and there's this moment where he's kind of holding court in his his office during his daughter's wedding, and he's sitting back in his desk, and as he is, like person after person is coming into his office, he's got his goons around him and things, and each person is coming asking for something. Don Corleone, I, I need money, I need support, or, or I want you to you know, whack my daughter's boyfriend. Like They're people who are looking for something from this man who has power and money and resources. And the reason they are is because every person that comes into his office is somebody who doesn't have power who doesn't have a lot of resources. In the early 20th century streets of New York, these you know, street vendors and produce salesmen and things, they were just poor common people who didn't have a lot of resources and they're coming to this man of power and wealth. And what happens? Oh, Don Corleone, please do this thing. And, and he looks at him and says, mm-hmm, if I do this thing for you, <laughs> there may come a time in the future when I need a favor in return. You know, like there, there'll come a time one day when I'll call on you, but I'll do this thing. And how are you gonna do it? Uh, make him an offer he can't refuse, right? Like the common classic mafia language. But amidst this whole scene, what you see, and if you watch the movie, it really is, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is first century Roman grace. There's this expectation of respect, of honor, a little bit of fear likely, as these people with less means who are powerless, who don't have what they need, are willing to come to this man who has so much and so much power and essentially offer themselves and seek out uh, some type of gift or favor, something that they need. And sure enough, later in the film, what do you see? Uh, Don Corleone's son is killed, Sonny, and uh, he calls on one of the men that he did a favor for, who was an undertaker to take care of his son. Uh, You know, I I did a favor for you. Now it's time for you to repay it. And here's the thing. I mean this, the godfather... In 1950s America, this group of Italian, Romans, looks a lot more like grace in the first century than how we often think of the word today. Now, hear me out before you you know, accuse me of being a heretic and burn my podcast. <laughs> Let me explain. Plus, if you, you burning my podcast would probably just you setting your phone on fire, I wouldn't do that. In the Greco-Roman world that this was all written, this took place, you had a very different dynamic going on about social stratospheres. Most of the world's wealth and resources were controlled by a very small minority. And some of you say, well, that's the way today, the 1%. Eh, not quite. Listen, if you live in America, you're the 1%. Get over it. But the idea though is like there was no middle class. It was like there were a few super powerful witch and everybody else was just poor. And so if you were on that bottom rung, if you were one of the masses who had nothing, and no ability, how would you ever hope to get ahead? What if you had a great need? What if you don't have insurance? You know what, I mean? what if tragedy strikes and you just need money or you need resources or you're, you're trying to get your son to go to a special school and you're just poor carpenters? What are you going to do? How could you ever hope to get ahead in a society like that? Well, you can't just go to the bank and necessarily ask for a loan. You don't have any collateral. You who are you? Well, there's, here's the way it would work. They had an entire social system in the ancient Greco-Roman Empire, where people who were rich and powerful, godfathers, you might say, were known as benefactors, they would choose to help people beneath them. They would offer gifts, favors, whatever. Almost like today the government of bank might. Private citizens would do this. and they would essentially offer this to other people and help them. So you need power, you need something, you need a resource, you need money, whatever. You just like a common street vendor in the early 20th century New York, needing money, coming to a powerful gangster saying, please, can I help? And this dynamic between the haves and the have-nots created this special social relationship known as patronage. Patronage, you got a client and a patron where the, the richer, powerful, godfather-type figure um, f- function this way of what we'd call quid pro quo, this for that. I will give you what you need. I'll offer you the resources, the, the wealth, whatever you need. I'll do this for you in exchange this could be anything, again, from money to social favors, opportunities for employment. I want to get elected. Help me, Godfather. You know, I want to get a record deal. I'm going to help my career, whatever. Protection. This guy wants to beat me up. Legal advocacy. Even invitations to a special social event. I just, I got to be at this party so other people see me and then it'll raise my social standing. All of these kind of things were like forms of grace. It began at the top, the wealthiest Romans, even Nero the, or other, the Roman emperor himself. And then it would sort of trickle down to all the people underneath them. And it worked throughout society, much like the big mafia families of the last century, giving favors, helping the lowly common man in exchange. And there was always an exchange. The guiding principle of grace in the ancient world was reciprocity. This for that, I give you, you give, it creates a circle. Advantaging both people. It helped those in the lower class gain what they needed, uh, support, opportunities, and in return, the wealthier patron also gained something from it. They weren't doing this just out of the kindness of their heart. Um, some The client, that this person they gave to, would give something back. So the word grace could actually refer to the gift or the favor, like the Godfather gives, But the word grace, gratia, could also be the return gift. When I respond, I give you a gratias. Even today, like in in Spanish, gracias is thank you. It actually means here's grace back to you. I'm returning the grace to you. Uh, It's where we get our word grateful, gratias. But either way, it, it spoke of this cultural custom of giving a gift or favor to another person. Usually, uh, someone who deserved it, and with the full expectation that they would respond in kind. That was the world of grace. I give, you give back. We create this kind of social relationship. Very similar to the mafia. Like Ew, That's that's kind of uncomfortable. That feels a bit off to us, right? He's like, wait a second, Pete. That, what are, you, are you saying that, the, so you're saying Jesus is like the Godfather? No, I'm not saying that. We'll get into that in a second. But, you know, you're like, wait, the godfather is a bad guy. <laughs> sure, being generous and giving gifts, we get that, but expecting something in return, this kind of like shady, almost like downright criminal element of like, I'm going to expect something back from you, this kind of thing. It feels weird to us, doesn't it? It feels uncomfortable. We want to talk about grace that is, oh, I didn't do anything. You just gave it to me and I don't have to do anything. That's more comfortable. To, and it's often the kind of grace we talk about in church. And we'll talk about why in a second. It's not completely off, but it's a little off. I don't want to talk about it. But what we have to start with to really make sense of this, we have to understand the cultural differences. You and I live 2,000 years after this stuff was written in a very different land and culture. This is foreign to us. When we watch a movie like The Godfather, we think that's weird. But if you talked about that 2000 years ago they'd be like that's just normal society. Now it doesn't mean it was all criminal. They weren't all murderers and things, but that idea of like I have money power come to me, I'll I'll do this for you and you do something back for me. That was the world they lived in. It was very normal. A benefactor was somebody like a godfather. That's probably where the word comes from. Like I have resources, I'll take care of you, I'll provide, I'll protect you, I'll give you what you need, I'll make sure your life is okay, and then in return you do something for me. This is how the ancient world of Rome worked, and it's how everyone understood the word grace. And I would say this, and you know, we want to say like, they did not share our belief that gifts should be unearned. So not only does it not mean unmerited favor, grace almost never meant unmerited or unearned favor. Uh, And the idea that no strings attached, absolutely not. All grace had strings attached. It was the opposite. In fact, when you look at uh, ancient texts from that time, it's like you almost always see them talking about how when you're going to give a favor, when grace is being offered, you should absolutely consider the worth and the merit of the person. Uh, The famous author Cicero, he wrote this, I'll quote it for you. He said, good graces badly placed are badly given. Or good gifts, things that you think are good, if you place them in bad people, unworthy, unmerited people, they're actually badly given. Grace is wasted and pointless if you give to an undeserving, unworthy person. So Cicero would basically say grace should should absolutely be merited. It should only be given to people who deserve it. In his culture, Cicero, people like him, they, felt they were fully expected that the recipient of grace should be a virtuous person who is worthy of the gift, who would honor it and respect it and reply and respond the right way. A person who would understand the importance of the relationship the gift was forming, not just take the money and run, so to speak. Uh, a guy named Socrates went as far as to warn benefactors like the Godfather. Hey, Godfather, listen, don't give grace to bad men uh, don't give grace to unworthy people. Don't give favors to people who are unworthy of your favors. He said this, he said, as says, feeding stray dogs who snarl and bite, even when you feed them is the same thing as giving grace to an unworthy person. Like, you know, you you give a, give a dog a bone and it just bites your hand. He's like, unworthy people aren't worthy of your grace. They're just like, they'll just bite your hand. Don't do it. Consider the worth of the person before you give. People were advised to make sure that when I, before I gave you a grace, are you a worthy person? Just like the Godfather, are you a good friend? Have you been loyal to me? You know, have you paid your protection money in the past? The person was almost always considered before grace was given. After all, if the person was ungratias, ungrace in return, it would be a waste to help them. Merit mattered. So no, the word grace did not mean unmerited favor. It just meant favor. The word merited unmerited wasn't part of it. What's more, and this is super important, the idea that a gift should have no strings attached. This is just a gift. Do it it doesn't matter at all. That grace is freely given and nothing is expected of you was also a very foreign concept. And I would even argue today When you give a gift, you have expectations, right? You give a gift to a friend. Maybe you don't expect that they'll buy you a present back, but you expect them to respond a certain way. You're hoping for some friendship, some commodity, maybe a gift in return. There's still some expectation. Back then, it was absolutely expected. Going back to my guy, Cicero. Cicero said that while giving a grace or a gift is a matter of choice, do it if you want to, responding to a gift, he said this, is an absolute duty of which all honorable people are socially required an absolute duty. (laughs) It was to incur a social debt. If somebody gave you a grace... If you were even remotely honorable, you would see that as an obligation to respond to. And actually the word obligation, obligare, was a common word that they used when talking about grace. You're under an, obligare, you're under an obligation to respond to this. There's even references to uh, rich people trying to ruin their enemies by giving them outlandish gifts that they were too poor to repay, and then it would bankrupt them because socially I have to respond to this grace and I don't have that much money, so I'm borrowing, my, I'm, I'm selling everything I own to try to pay. They could actually do that to hurt each other. That wasn't the normal thing, but you were expected to respond. The famous author Seneca said the person who intends to be gratias, return grace, immediately while receiving should turn his or her thought to repaying. Immediately. And he used again the word obligare, like it's, you're under an obligation. As soon as you get a, a grace, you should immediately think about how you're going to repay it and return grace back to that person. So for the original readers of the New Testament, grace was always to be met with grace. It was a circle. You give grace, I return grace. And they knew that there were strong social sanctions for violating this. Expectations that if you don't return a grace, shame, social derision, a reputation of not being, no one's gonna give you everything ever again. If you don't properly respond to grace, you'll never be given grace again because you'll be unworthy. And Seneca actually would go on to say that being ungratias, not returning grace, was among the worst social vices. It was one of the worst things you could do. If somebody gave you a grace and you didn't respond by giving a grace back, it was one of the worst social faux pas possible. So if you took grace from the Godfather, if you accept that favor, a modern day benefactor, you were now in a give and take and give back relationship. You were expected to return. It wasn't just like, okay, here's some money. It was, here's some money. And one day I'm going to call on you and I expect you to respond. That was grace, you know, that doesn't sound like the biblical grace. Well, it doesn't in some ways. Uh, and we're going to get that in a second. But that was how they talked about grace. It's what it meant. Now, you might ask, is this all greed, self-interest? Were all ancient people. just Was no one generous in the ancient world? Well, it's a bit of both. I, human nature is human nature. It's still that way today, right? There's still people today who give gifts, expecting things in return. And there are probably people like then who really were genuinely and honestly generous. But the thing you have to remember is to put yourself in those the, the shoes of those people they didn't have welfare. They didn't have insurance. They didn't have easy loans. If you were born poor, a benefactor was your only hope. So if this person's willing to help you, repaying is the least you could do. Like why are you even why are you seeing this as a bad thing? Now again, and I want to be clear, I kind of joke around that. Yes, the godfather was a criminal, a murderer who supported illegal things. Not all benefactors in the ancient world were criminals. I'm just trying to get you a picture of how grace worked. The the mafia took grace to an extreme, but this idea of someone with re, means and resources was actually was actually helping. But if you're helped, if you someone helps you out, you should respond. It should create a it's a social contract by we're helping each other. Again, the author Seneca talked about grace like playing catch. You throw the ball to the person, and then they toss it back to you. Now you've started this relationship. If one player tosses it to another player, and another person doesn't talk, toss it back, but they take their ball and go home, they're like a they're a bad person. They're, they're like, you're, it's insulting. Why would you do that to me? There was simply no such thing in the ancient world as an isolated act of grace. Uh, being given a grace meant you returned a grace and you kept the game going. And oftentimes, grace was based on uh, your merit, whether you were worth it. So if that's the case, if you're expected to return grace, how would you do it? If I'm poor, and like, I'm I'm barely, I'm like living on the streets and I'm coming to you for help. I can't pay you back. That's why I'm asking you. How would you repay a grace um, if you couldn't afford it? If you're equals and you're friends, you'd give it. But if you're, if you're, if there's a power dynamic and you're the poor person coming to Godfather, you, you can't give it back one-to-one. What can you repay? Well, uh, the scholar De Silva says there are three basic ways you could repay grace in the ancient world. De Silva says the first is just like the Godfather, again, very similar, the Roman culture was all about honor, respect, reputation, public persona, your your honor in the society. So the most basic response you could give would be to offer your benefactor praise or public notoriety. Aristotle said that honor was the due reward for generous benefaction. If somebody was generous and a benefactor to you, giving them honor in the public sphere, tell the world about it, which is funny, right? We're like, well, if somebody gives you a gift, you're not supposed to brag about it. Back then you were. (laughs) Aristotle gave me this wonderful thing. He's the most amazing person in the world. That was what you expected to do. Seneca said the recipient of an unrepayable grace. I, I, it's too big. I can't pay it back. He said you should publicize it as broadly as possible. He said not merely in the hearing of the giver, but everywhere. So if you're a benefactor that wants honor and people to think good of you, giving good gifts to people actually would return um, public notoriety. People would think better of you. Oh, yeah, what a great person. Yeah, a really good guy. This vocal support, sometimes political voting. Um, they're, they create this sort of network of, of helping people like get more popular, more famous. Oftentimes these people would have an entire entourage around town of all the people singing their praises, how great they are. Again, think about the Godfather, the mafia, right? Like walking around in good suits, hey, Godfather, you're all, oh, you're the best Godfather, right? They like that. They want the attention, and the notoriety. A lot of similarities to that. Along with praise and adoration, favors, you return favors in the Godfather movie when, when uh, an undertaker comes to him and wants help with a difficult situation with his daughter and the Godfather helps. Later in the movie, the Godfather's son dies and he comes back to the undertaker. I helped you, now you help me. And he's obligated to do this thing for him. So giving uh, some type of favor in return was a very common way of, of, of responding to grace. There's actually a verse in the Bible, in Luke chapter seven. Uh, there's this story about a centurion who is coming I wants to talk to Jesus. And the Jewish people say this in Luke 7. They say, he's deserving of help. They use this word deserving. For he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. Okay, he loves our nation. That's benefaction. That's a rich, powerful Roman doing good things for the Jewish people. And now he's cashing in a favor. It's reciprocal. He's given us grace. So Jesus, please help him. Take care of this guy. He wants to meet you. We're, we're, We're returning his grace by connecting him, doing a favor for him. Um, or like, again, when Marlon Brando calls in, so you could you could give them praise, adoration, public honor, you could do favors for them. And here's maybe the biggest one. And I think the most important when different scholars are talk about this, if you can't say anything good, you're not you're not able to. And if you can't physically do anything, every act of grace, every benefactor who gives you anything, there's one key way you can always respond, and you were expected to respond by giving faith. Faith, and I don't mean belief, go back and listen or watch my workshop on faith. I mean as loyal, trustworthy, friendship, commitment. Uh, Faith was like, I'm 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 your man, right? You help me, I'm with you, I'm behind you. Seneca actually described returning grace by saying, if you wish to make a return for a grace, be willing to go into exile or pour forth your blood or undergo poverty or slanders to show proper gratitude. Seneca was basically saying, maybe you can't pay back financially. Maybe you don't have any influence to talk great about in the public sector, but you better be a great friend who's willing to do anything. Like give, give your faith to this person. Now, certainly a client could never give a patron anything close to the value of the original gift, but you could always offer your heart. You could give your commitment. You could give loyalty. You could be a true friend and supporter, which is all after what faith is about. Faith is a social bond of trust, reliability that ties people together. Therefore, it is the most natural and obvious response to grace. When a benefactor gives you something amazing you can't pay back, you can at least offer back your heart and loyalty. So, Despite our modern cultural understanding of the word grace, the ancient world often considered worth and merit and always put them under strong obligation to return something, honor, service, or else faith. So let me kind of wrap this up with this basic question, and it's a big one. Okay, Pete, that's what grace meant in the ancient world, but biblical grace seems a little bit different, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it does. What does this mean for us as Christians as followers of Jesus? I wanna give you two basic things that this is important for us and then you'll see how they tie together. The first is this. When we say that grace is unmerited favor, I wanna, and, and I'm, I'm kind of coming back here, I'm not saying that it's never unmerited favor. I'm not saying that at all. It can be unmerited. I'm just saying it doesn't mean unmerited. A gift can be a gift. A bonus can be a gift. Well, you earned it. You worked for it. That can be a grace. Grace. But grace could be unmerited, it just usually wasn't. So, when the early Christians start going around telling people that God, the greatest benefactor in the world there is, the the richest, most powerful, the one who could give favors beyond measure, actually is showing favor to us and giving us great gifts despite ourselves, that was amazing that actually God's grace is different than we think. Like God's giving grace, okay, what, what, who, to who? To the good people? No, no, to everybody. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were ungratias rebels who have shown poor grace in the past, and yet he's still choosing to give us grace. So the important thing here is to understand, Paul wasn't redefining the word grace for people. He wasn't creating a new term or a new definition. Rather, he was showing how astoundingly different what God was doing from how normal people acted. Normal powers and rulers and governors and emperors and other gods gave grace, but it always was based on merit. It was always, well, they will give it to the good people, right? The other rich people, whatever. Like God is doing something that the world doesn't know or understand. We don't, we've never seen any the one powerful give us such lavish gifts and favors to such unworthy people. God is quite unlike a rich patron or an emperor or a godfather. He's actually not like the godfather at all. He has no criminal intentions. He's doing this completely out of love for us. He doesn't make me grovel or show how worthy I am. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to show it. Look how good I am. And let me say a bunch of nice words to you before you. No, he's just giving. Incredible. This word prodigal pouring out with almost no really thought to, (laughs) just giving it away grace. So it's not that the Bible redefines grace, the word itself. It's that it wants you to see how different God is from all human institutions. The word still means what it meant, it meant it was what the Godfather and his criminal enterprise was doing, but when God did it, it was unusual and different, and amazing and astoundingly good news that God's grace is unearned. So when Paul would say you're not you're saved by grace, like he's saying you didn't do anything, you didn't earn it, you didn't have to get God's attention, you didn't have to you didn't have to suck up to him, you you didn't have to be a certain kind of person, you didn't have to follow certain kinds of rules. <clears throat> God just chose to give you such an amazing gift simply because he wanted to, and that is wow. So yeah, when people say, well, biblical grace is unmerited favor, I would say grace is just grace, but God's grace is unmerited. Grace means gift. God's grace, though, is an unmerited and unearned gift. So there's some truth there, but this is a little off. Does that make sense? However, I'm gonna end with this. There is a difference between earning a gift and responding to a gift. So while the New Testament tells us that God's grace is so completely different than how the world thinks of grace, that it's unmerited and it's unearned. You ready for this? It never tells us that it's different from the world in its expectation of a return. There's nowhere in the New Testament that says grace has no strings attached. It says it's unearned and unmerited, sure. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something to initiate God coming and offering you salvation and new life. But that doesn't mean there's no strings attached. All grace in the ancient world was atta- had strings attached. And there's nowhere in Paul's writings or anywhere else that's like, oh, actually, not only is God's grace different with merit, it's also different with reciprocity. No. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think you actually see reciprocity in that same verse we talked about. For you have been saved by grace through faith. I think through faith, dia pistis, is Paul saying, the benefactor has offered you something amazing and now here is your response. Loyalty, friendship, commitment. That this salvation happens when you receive the gift and respond appropriately through faith. There is an expectation of return for human beings to receive God's grace. You didn't earn it but you are supposed to respond to it. And that's why Paul would say, don't take grace in vain. Don't be that guy who takes the ball and runs home and doesn't toss it back because God wants to start a relationship with you. He's offering you something and he wants something in return. Now, he's not a criminal like the Godfather who's gonna want you to like whack some enemy, (laughs) He's a loving, gracious God who wants good things for you. And when he's asking for your faith in return, it's because when you give him your faith, you are putting your life in his hands and your life's gonna be better for it. But that is the return expectation. Throughout the Old Testament, the Jews were given grace and the expectation was that they would love God with their heart, soul, and strength. Loyalty, commitment, faith. And in the New Testament, grace is in exchange for our faith in Jesus. Again, be careful here. When I say exchange, I don't mean you earned it. The gift was given. I mean you are responding to it. If I gave my daughter when she turned sixteen a car, uh, great. Did she earn it? No. Did she do anything? No. But if she doesn't take the keys, get it in, turn on the ignition, start driving it, she's wasting it. And I would expect her to thank me and hug me and appreciate. Right? There's this. That's that's what's going on here. God is giving you something you didn't earn, but there is an expectation of return. So bringing us all the way back to last episode. Well, if grace is no strings attached and unmerited, then isn't this God just making his own decisions, no human effort, so doesn't God decide? I would argue, no, that grace is unearned and unmerited, but it's offered to everyone. And those who choose to appropriately respond in faith are the ones who actually get it. Not the ones who God decided in advance would get it, but the ones who choose to respond the appropriate way. Those who see the gift being offered to them and say, I will take this and thank you and I will be loyal to Jesus. They now experience life to the fullest as Jesus called them to. And they have this promise of eternity. They receive the Holy Spirit. So there is human effort involved. Humans don't start it. Humans don't initiate it. You cannot earn this gift. And this gift is not being offered because of how great you are. And it's not being withheld from you because how bad you are. It's being offered to you freely because God loves you. But now it's your turn to take it and respond to it and experience it and not take it in vain to say, okay, thank you, great benefactor God. I am going to receive this and I'm gonna give you my heart and loyalty. I'm gonna follow Jesus, which is what you want me to do in response for this grace. And in doing so, the wisdom of God, the spirit of God begins to move and change my life and I begin to experience the life he's made for me. I begin to live out the salvation that he's offering. I open and unwrap the gift and actually start playing with the toy rather than just being like, oh, present, great. (laughs) I think that's what this is all about. It is reciprocal. God wants your heart. God wants a relationship with you. God wants friendship with you. It isn't all just like power games. God actually wants friendship with you. God created you to know you and be close to you and have you know him. So he's offering you this gift of new life, inviting you back into a relationship with him and saying, do you, I'm giving, I'll give you life to the fullest and I'll let you actually experience life with me. I'm tossing you the ball. Let's play catch. I almost think of the analogy of a person maybe at a high school dance walking up to, a guy walking up to a girl and say, do you care to dance? And they, and they grab their hand and they, they start leading. That's God to us. And I'm not saying Jesus is your boyfriend, but that's the idea. He's, he's, he's initiating a dance with us. But you and I have to say yes. We have to stand up. We have to start following his footsteps in order to continue the dance. And that's grace. It's the beauty of grace. He's leading, he's starting it, but now we follow. So is God beginning it? Is God predetermining things? Does God have a plan and a will? Absolutely. Do humans have a part to play? Do humans have free will? Absolutely. We have to respond and start dancing with him. We have to return the grace. We're by grace through faith. We give the faith back to God. And now we have this relationship and this new life. We trust him, we obey him, we follow Jesus step by step in this dance of amazing, incredible life he's offering us. So it's not that you have no free will, nor is it that it's all you. God started it. The only reason we're dancing is because he walked up to us and said, I wanna dance. (laughs) So that's grace. Um, Wait a second, Pete. You didn't finish the sentence. It says not works. Isn't me choosing to dance work? Isn't me being faithful work? Well, in some ways it kind of is. So here's what we're gonna do. We're coming back next episode. And I think we're gonna talk about what Paul meant by works. Let's we'll see how that goes. So hopefully this was helpful. I know it was a lot, went a bit long. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna jump back in the next episode and I'm gonna talk about works. Um, and it'll bring us back to the law a little bit, some other things. And maybe another question next week if something else comes in because it won't be the whole time. All right, hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please share this, like it. Leave a comment. Uh, maybe you have some thoughts about grace. Maybe you have other questions about grace. Ask me. Throw them in the comments. Shoot me an email. I would love to discuss this more. Um, so hope this was helpful. Looking forward to uh man continuing the conversation and hope you all have a great week and we'll talk to you in our next episode. Of Thanks a lot. You near